Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, let's just give the Lord a round of applause tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to invite you all, if you could stand with us tonight. We're going to invite the Lord's presence among us. Amen. His presence is always with us. Um, there is a passage in the scripture that said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. But um, when you're in the presence of God, or walk in the presence of God, um, that's one thing that you can stand assured of that is with you. Uh, scripture did remind us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So we welcome everyone tonight to our Thursday night Bible study. Amen. Our online congregation, we welcome you. Amen. So we're going to pray if there is anyone that with any special request, we're going to ask you to raise your hand as we pray. Mama P, have her hand up. A few hands going up. Almost the entire congregation going up. Amen. Look around, see who's there. Amen. We're going to pray that the Lord meet us and be with us. Amen. We, 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 we're living in such a time where our bodies sometimes break down. The Bible tells us that we are faithfully and wonderfully made. And sometimes, you know, our body goes through so much pain and tensions and uh, everything that comes with it. And it's like, man, when one single member is affected or hurt, it affects the entire body. So, um, so it is in the natural and so it is in the spiritual. So we welcome everyone tonight. We're going to pray that the Lord will have his way with the man of God as he come forward to preach, teach, or whatever the Lord have in store for us tonight, that our minds will be open, and that it will direct us, amen, direct the man of God tonight, continue to keep our pastor in our prayers, amen, and um, our online congregation, continue to keep them in prayer. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer as we pray tonight. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this, another privilege you have given unto us to be in your presence one more time. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your love. We ask you, dear God, that you may forgive us for every sins, O oh God. All the sins that we have committed in your sight, knowingly and unknowingly, Lord God. We ask you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all filthiness. Purge us with isop. Wash us and help us to be whiter than snow. We ask you to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us away not from thy presence, Lord God. Take not thy Holy Spirit from us, O God. We ask you to restore unto us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with your spirit, Lord God. I will join the scripture when it said, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Father God, we thank you for this privilege that you have given us to bring us together one more time in your presence where we can worship you. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pledges forevermore. Father God, we honor you, Lord God. We adore you. We pray for every person that is inside the congregation tonight, Lord God. Lord God, whatever needs, oh God, whatever the situation, Lord God, if it's physical, emotional, spiritual, or financial, we serve in the God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we ask or think. And right now, as we come to you in the name of Jesus, 
We ask you, Lord God, that you will meet our needs tonight, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, that you will help us to be victorious, O God. I pray and ask you to strengthen us, touch our bodies and our mind. We pray for our online congregation tonight, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, to bless, continue to bless, O God, this facility, O God. O God, for our pastor and his family, that your angel be upon him. They will continue to strengthen him. Keep him, O God. I pray and ask you, Lord God, that you will continue to use him for your glory, Lord God. We ask you, O God, that you will touch every member, every family. O God, those that are here, those that are not here, those that are traveling. O God, we ask you to touch them tonight, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, to keep us, Lord God. We ask you to prepare our hearts and our minds, O God, to receive what you have in store for us tonight, Lord God. That we will receive it, Lord God, with joy. O God, a hope in the heart and a hope in mind, Lord God. For Lord God, without you, Lord God, we're nothing. Oh God, for you promise you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And Father God, as we come in your presence tonight, Lord God, we ask you, Lord God, to move among us individually and collectively, Lord God. We ask that your will will be done in this place tonight. It's not our will, oh God, but your will, oh God. For we know it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. And Father God, as we come in this study, our Thursday night Bible study in your hands tonight, Lord God. We ask you to use the men of God as they come forward tonight, Lord God. Touch his body, touch his mind. Oh God, put words in his mouth, Lord God, to speak to the congregation like never before, Lord God, so that we can be encouraged and we can be blessed. Oh God, we look to you, Lord God, because all our strength coming from you, Lord God. We ask you will to be done. Oh God, we commit ourselves to you, Lord God. We say thanks for what you're about to do and what you're doing in this hour. We give you all the glory and all the honor as we say thanks in Jesus' name. One more time. Can we just give the Lord another round of applause? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Without any further ado, I, uh, it's an honor and privilege tonight. Amen. I'm going to bring the man of God up to the podium tonight, Minister Oscar. Amen. And the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Come on, Minister. Bless you. looking around here tonight it hit me this is our last Thursday service one more alrighty alright forgive me <laughs> alrighty while you are up just turn your your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, amen, so I hear no amen, so I'm assuming we do not have our Bibles, <laughs> all right, I did not tell you where to turn, just want to know you got the Bible, <laughs> turn to the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter, Today is a good day to read from Isaiah. This verse, starting at verse 1, when you are there, say amen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord 
high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the people of God. I thank you for our pastor, Lord God. I thank you for this opportunity to be used as an oracle for you tonight, Lord God. Bless this word, Lord God. Bless the hearers this evening, Lord Jesus. Let me say nothing, O oh God, that is not of your will this evening, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, earlier today, I was at work. And I was... Um, listening to some sermons because that's how I get through my day at work. And I was listening to this one sermon, a very popular bishop in our organization, and he read a letter um, to his church that his father wrote um, him when he passed away, before he passed away. And the church was concerning, the, the letter was concerning matters of their church. And so his father, in his last few days, who was intending to hand him the church, wrote him a letter about the concerns that he had with the church and the broader movement. This was some maybe 10 plus years ago. But recently, in the sermon, he read the letter because he felt that what his father spoke about then is coming to fruition now. And while I'm, listen, while I'm listening and he's reading this, this letter, it was very, very uh, profound. And I, I initially thought, man, it would be good to play that but uh, I didn't get the, the the video. So I actually asked him, I said, hey, crazy question. Do you have that letter? He said, I actually do. My secretary typed it up, and that's where I read it from. He said, is it okay if I read it? Because it's pretty in tune with what I'm going to teach on this evening. And he said, yes. And so I I got I got the letter, drove here, and about five minutes ago he gave he gave me the okay to, that I can read the letter. I just forgot to ask him, is it okay if I say who wrote the letter? 
and I didn't have enough time to ask. So I cannot say who wrote the letter, but you may be able to put some context clues together. And I just want to read it to you. He says, this is from his father, the bishop. He says, I am greatly concerned with the state of the apostolic movement today. What happened to the Bible teachers who, if we lost the Bible today, we'd be able to recover it by using their notes. We have exchanged the voice of God for the voice of man. We've deduced a real life, life-changing move of God to that of emotional ecstasy. We know words to songs and don't know Christian doctrine. Our youth do Bible quizzing, memorizing verses. They don't know the meaning behind. Our preaching has become opinion-based and not Bible-based. We have a totally biblically illiterate apostolic generation rising and no one seems to care. No concern. We invite those who have best personalities to our pulpit. We seek the best singers singing praise and worship. We seek after preaching styles, fashion, and personality. No one teaches the holy anymore. No one knows God is holy. We don't speak on God's redemptive power. We lack love for God's word. If there will be no spirit, no move of the spirit, if there will be no sound teaching, if we're not growing in the Lord, if the saints of God won't reach or teach to one another and only rely on Sunday's word, then close the door. God has called us to build a church and not a community center. Aren't you glad you're a member of our church? I won't be long tonight. The topic that I'm going to speak of this evening it's 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 one of those topics that I see as being um, less is more. Since my wife has it up. The topic that I'm going to speak to you all about is the holiness of God's redemptive process. If you were here last time I taught, you remember I did something on the oneness of God and the subtitle was Journey Through the Scriptures. So I don't know what the Lord is doing with the Journey Through the Scriptures, but it's the same thing he gave me um, today. So some of you will be surprised to learn that some of the things we're going to talk about this evening are in the Bible. We will learn new terms today. 
terms you may have heard before, terms you may have not heard before, you may have not read before, you may have read and heard before, but have not heard it from an apostolic perspective. The holiness of God's redemptive process, such a loaded title to understand what God has said about this process, we need to break down some important words. First, how do we define holiness? And some of you may know, I, I, during Bible studies, I, I, I like to interact and I may ask questions and I'm okay if you ask questions. Who want to take a shot at it? How do you define holiness? Now, there technically should be a lot of hands since our pastor just did like a two-month series uh, on holiness. <laughs> One person. How do you define holiness? Live, okay. Amen. Live the word of God and follow it. Two people. One more. How do you define holiness? Brother Tom. To embody the Lord in all our conversations. Amen. Two, two great, great answers. In our text, the king is dead. 8th century B.C., Judah goes through a crisis. And they suffered a major loss. David is already gone. Solomon is already gone. The empire has split. Uzziah called at the age of 16, reigned for some 50-plus years. Of his many accomplishments, he fortified the boundaries, the borders, built up the military. Prosperity in the land, peace, innovation, good relationship with the neighbors and had a massive infrastructure project building up the northern empire. But the king is dead, y'all. See, here in America, we can't relate because we don't have a king. We don't live under a monarch society. But if you are you live in the UK or are familiar with that culture, then you know recently Queen had died. And I actually watched the funeral. It was beautiful. However, there are some differences between the Queen now and the King then. When the Queen passed away there was a succession plan 
people were already beginning to take over her royal duties, tasks that she had planned before she even died, years in the making. When she got sick, it increased. And duties began to get moved from her. But who could take on Uzziah's task? The king is dead, and Isaiah has a dream. The king who has sat on an earthly throne is dead, and Isaiah has a dream of the Lord on the throne. In verse 1, Uzziah has a dream. And the king who sat on the earthly throne. But Isaiah has this dream. I don't know if y'all getting what I'm saying. So I just say it in another way. That the king is dead and there's someone on the throne. And the scripture says that his train filled the temple. And if you know about the monarch society... Uh, or or uh, or, or, or uh, culture, then you you know even today that the the train on the robe speaks to a certain status. It speaks to royalty, and oftentimes they wear it for a royal announcement for a particular event. The king is dead. Isaiah has a dream that God is on the throne. And there is going to be an announcement. In verse 2, the Lord has company. The scripture says that they are seraphims. That word in the Hebrew literally means something on fire. So the Lord is accompanied by these fiery things with wings and they are flying in verse three that not only are they flying but they are saying these words they're saying holy 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 so in the english language uh, there are ways grammatically to express certain things for example if you're writing something and you use an exclamation mark that could express excitement anger sometimes you may even say wow when you're talking bradley says it a lot and it shows it shows shock like whoa the jews had something similar but it wasn't an exclamation mark it wasn't wow it was the use of repetition For example, in the New Testament, we see Jesus says many times, verily, verily, or truly, truly. What this means is Jesus is saying that what I'm about to say is important. And a lot of times it is not just repetition of a particular word. You may see repetition of a 
certain thought. A lot of times in Paul's writing where he is repeating the same thought in one chapter, even in one book. He's highlighting that what is being said is important. But on the rarest occasion, do you say it three times? To say it three times, not only is to say that it is important, but it is imperative. It's a command. It is to say that you better listen and get this. To make no mistake, God is holy. So the king is dead. Isaiah has a dream of the Lord on the throne and with him are fiery beings flying in a room and they are declaring God is holy. Get this. And I I put it up because I wanted you to actually see it. In verse one, Lord looks different in verse one than it does in verse three. Anyone want to guess why? Verse one, lowercase, L-O-R-D, verse three, uppercase. Why? Nicole, you got your hand up. Go ahead, sister. Can't hear you. God, okay. The, the creator, God himself. That's good. Go on, go on ahead, Bishop. You might got to come up here, Bishop. Nah. God Almighty. Okay, yeah, that's good too. By the time I feel like you got something, you're looking at me, man, like call on me. good not everyone good good answers um so the first lord in the lowercase one both in english right same lord but they are coming from two different hebrew words right the the first lord comes from this hebrew word adonai which is a title for god and it means god's sovereignty the second capital lord this is important to know that every times when you see all caps in the old testament it's referring to yahweh it is the sacred name for god that at least up until now only is referred to god in fact it's not even god's actual name it is the closest thing you could get to god's name in the old testament Tetragrammaton. 
we even see it used where the scripture says that the Lord says to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make your enemies thy footstool. Adonai says to Yahweh. Y'all with me? See, God gave them kings, but here he says, in my sovereignty, I am going to be king. He tells them why he's going to be king. He says, I'm going to be king because I am holy, holy, holy. Whatever you felt about Uzziah, I'm here to tell you that I am the only holy, holy, holy. So what is holiness? God is holiness. So what is the big picture, you may say? Tom brought it up earlier, speaking of the Hebrew language. It is a imagery language. It's... It's a lot of times you want to ask yourself, well, what is the picture here? What is being presented here? Now, this was actually a hard one for me. You know, I I, I didn't understand it. So I I have a friend who who was in Israel. And so I asked him, I said, hey, what is going on here? What what do you think? What is the, the image here? He says that the image here is that God's Holiness is likened to a fire. And I thought some more that it's actually likened to the sun. Because without the sun, you die. The planet has life on it because of the distance it is from the sun. And if you ever get close to the sun, You what? You die. Nothing can consume the sun, but it can consume anything. Get this. You can only be holy when that which is holy consumes you. The question is, How does that which is holy consume you? See, sometimes we think, oh, well, we pray and we cry. And then that's how we become consumed by God and his holiness. But to really understand how God's consuming holiness consumes us to be consumed and to know we're consumed and to really, really understand that we're consumed, you must understand God's redemptive process and to understand this process we have to look at some language redemption anyone heard that before is that a yes we have to look at redemption in the old testament as it relates to a legal system in in israel and I had a Bible reader today. I don't know where she's at. You know, uh, she should be reading, but 
Yeah. And we, we're we're going to wait uh, for her. Brother Kelly, man, you know, um, a, a, a an old mentor of mine said that when he first started going to church way back in the day, that they didn't quote just oh Revelations two twenty five. They read it, and that's what helped people to memorize it. He said, now today, got the young folks, they just write verse down and memorizing it. But he told me back in the day. They knew it because the preacher kept saying it. So today we're going to read some scripture. Is that okay with you? Amen. Now that's assuming my scripture reader get there tonight. Someone else. Because she's 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 in the holiness of God. All righty, my brother, 25 and 25. But that which ye have already heard from us, hear and hearken. And uh, Leviticus 25, 25. And then someone else get numbers 35. You got me? Okay. If thy brother be waxen poor and have sold away some of his possessions, and if any of his sins come to the grievous, then shall he redeem that which his brother stole. Amen. Amen. So this means that a close relative had the right to redeem or another word would be to exchange, right, uh, another family member. So during the writing of the time of the writing of Leviticus, Israel could not permanently sell land. But if you were in hard times, what you could do. You could lend it out. You could lend out your land, but you can't get it back. A close relative can come to the person who you lent out your land and redeem it back. That is going to be extremely important to understand going forward. Next verse. So if you murder someone, then the relative of the person you murdered had a right to redeem your life. That's the Bible way of saying, I'm going to get you back. 
and when you think about it even today right in 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 new jersey right, uh there's actually technically no like self-defense um for new jersey but you do have within the system like manslaughter and depending on the degree of manslaughter say if someone was trying to kill you right and you retaliated or if you knew someone that was trying to kill you and you felt you had to kill them before they kill you then new jersey says okay well that kind of makes sense and so we don't charge you for murder in first second or third degree we can look at manslaughter a lesser charge which still want to put you in jail but it's a lesser charge so if redemption was only in the old testament then it wouldn't apply but as you know for those who have been here we always have to look to see if what's in the old testament is mentioned echoed practiced in the new testament amen got my Bible reader. He's waiting on you, David. Chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So in the Old Testament, the blood of the animal represented the life that was required because of the law life for life sin was the death sentence so sin basically uh was murder and the only way to forgive that murder was life right we just discussed the life for life so here paul paul says in jesus not animals but jesus blood we have redemption also known as jesus paid the price so as you see jesus did not break the law he fulfilled the law okay that word redemption again that word redemption again because of him that you are in christ jesus it is because of him it's because of it's because of him because of jesus that you're in jesus if you remember what we talked about is that when there is murder and redemption needs to happen only the closest relative can redeem christ was the only person who can redeem us because he's our closest relative is he not your father it's the kingsman redeemer that's why he's the kingsman redeemer because he redeemed us again you will see that christ followed the law he did not break it 
when I was younger, we uh, get into like a, a lot of trouble, right? And 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 Cal, you 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 might know you might know what I'm about to say. So, you know, me and my homies, right? We we get in trouble with the law, and we had this phrase: "You better call Lord, you better call Lord." But we're not talking about the Lord Jesus. Downtown Trenton is a law firm named Robin Lord. And the phrase is, if you get in trouble, Lord going to get you out. They were, they were that good. It was very expensive. But they were that good. Uh, also, what would happen is that, and I feel like I, I don't see a lot of them as much, but we will always have some money for Bell's Bond. Because when you're living that life, you got to prepare for that day, right? But sometimes the Bell's Bonds, if you don't have enough money, they want collateral. They want your money in your grandmama's house. <laughs> That's how they get their redemption. They're going to hold on to the cars and the house and the dogs. Paul is saying that Jesus paid it all. He does not want your house. He does not want your car. He does not want your mama, the house, and the dog. He just wants you. He just wants you to give him your heart. Amen. Is that it? While God redeemed us back to himself, there is still a process. See, we have any young folk who went to college already. Well, even back there when he ain't young, he's my age. He's old now. Oh, Josiah. Yes. So. Josiah, your parents dropped you off at school. Sure, they hook you up with some little ching-ching every now and then. Call you. Tell you do a good job. Right? Taking care of you as much as they can. But graduating, it's all on you, right? They can do the best they can. But getting you across that stage, it's all on you. Likewise, salvation and holiness is a process. And if you don't know what that process is, you don't know what process you're in. So the question is, how do you recognize what process you're in? And this brings us to our next term. Justification. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 1, it says, If there is a dispute between men and they go to court and the judge decides their case, 
and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. As you see, we're going back to the Old Testament to define terms. See, when the scripture says, again, that Jesus fulfilled the law, at the end of this, you will really see just how Jesus fulfilled the law. So justification is a legal term. It's a legal term in the Old Testament and today. So real quick, when you hear the word justification, what comes to mind? Let's see if your thought is consistent with Scripture. Just like you never did it. That's why he's a minister. Just like you never did it. So while I can spend days on this topic, but briefly, in Deuteronomy, justification means to be made righteous. You're in court and you've been, Brother D, acquitted. In the New Testament, justification is built out into to, to a really important doctrine for Christians. It's the doctrine of justification. So now that we know that justification in the Old Testament is primarily a legal term that just pretty much means you beat the case, Luke tells us that God is the way to beat the case. God's way is justice. So when you apply God's ways, God's path, then you beat the case. But how do we apply God's righteousness? How do we apply God's righteousness? That's the question. Brother D, works? That's that. Okay, I stick with that. Okay, I like that. New birth. All right, y'all all in the notes. Okay. New birth works. Anyone else? Obedience. New, okay. But you said something about the brat? Obedience to the gospel. That's good. That's good. How do you obey the gospel? Okay. All right. All good answers. And are they all actually right. They all actually right. And they all will come together, um, you know, to, to some extent or another. When I, as I mentioned earlier with Robin Lord, and I, I'm keep going back to this legal theory because if you understand it in its legal context, then you can understand it in its redemptive context. Amen. That when to, to, to beat the case, we knew we had to pay Robin Lord a lot of money. My wife works in law firm. Te- babe, she was charging like 500 per hour for a car. It's a lot of money. 
And so then I was told to get Robin Lord to beat the case. But now I say get the Lord to beat the case. So everyone is right. And we're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. We have to ask ourselves, how do I get God to represent me? I know I can hire Robin Lord with money, but how do I get God to represent me? Amen. Next slide. Next slide. She's fired, y'all. I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I know. She is so fired. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul really builds out this doctrine of justification. Paul tells us exactly how to hire God, and that is by faith. You hire God by faith. Now, if you you think, overthink like me, you ask yourself, well, what comes first? Because you have justification but then you have faith. Does faith come before justification? Does it come after? Do anyone want to take a stab at it? Faith comes first. Amen. Amen. Surprisingly, this is actually extremely contentious in broader Christianity. Apostolics, we believe, not just apostolics, Pentecostals as a whole, that faith comes first. But there are other traditions that will say no. This is how you get once saved, always saved. They will tell you that, no, you've been justified before faith. And so anything that you do after that, it doesn't matter because God, God gave you salvation before you even believed in him. But faith, the scripture says, any man who come to God must believe. Tell your neighbor, say, faith. Oh, you got to say it like you believe it. Say, faith. faith I have a friend who uh, was part of the uh, tradition called the reformed church and and, and, and and he and I we would we would go back and forth all the time about this the bible and 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 he believes that he can do whatever he wants he can go to the club go to the bar and I, I one day asked him, I said, man, are you still a Christian? He said, I've been justified before the, 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 the foundation of the world. He believes 
that God gave him this gift before there was faith. It's not good. Going back to Robin Lord, so when you hire someone like Robin Lord and you pay and you pay them and you know that the money that you're paying them is going for a lot of resources. Pulling up records, hiring expert witnesses, etc. It goes to all these things just so you can beat the case. This is how people are in hundreds of thousands of uh, thousands of dollars in debt, big cases. It's not because they're just paying for the lawyer. It's because they're paying for the resources, for the, the things that the lawyer and his team is going to bring to the table to bring you home. All to beat the case. This is hugely important, and it really separates us. You have to know this. Because much like the relationship with Robin Lord, yes, they will make sure you're made righteous in the court of law. They will argue before the judge, uh, but to make you righteous, they need additional resources and help from you. While faith is the prerequisite, the next step is, or who, or what, or by what process is justifying us. Next slide. Regeneration. Regeneration. I'll read the definition goes like this. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit living in us and transforming our spiritual condition from death to life. So regeneration is a theological term not explicitly used in the Bible, but the concept is taught. In Jeremiah 32:40 it reads I will make an everlasting covenant with them I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear to fear me so that they will never turn away from me God has said that what he will do for us, he said, this is what I'll do for them. I'm going to do this. In return, I'll inspire them. See, we don't get that because sometimes, right, when we do things with people, we expect them to do something back. If I give you money when I need money, I expect you to give it back. God says, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm just going to encourage you to do the right thing. You don't have to. I don't expect you to. I'm not going to make you. God said, I'll leave it up to you. In John chapter 3, verse 3, we may all know this. Jesus tells us, it says, Jesus replied, 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. No one. No one. This is, I read it again. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So I have highlighted that word again. I think it's born again, really. It's, it's, it's really important that that word again uh, comes from this Greek word means anothen. Now, in your Bibles, you may have about three different ways you can translate it. And all of your, your, all of the Bibles, all of the Bibles we have, right? The translators have made a decision of how to translate it. But in that same chapter, that word, that Greek word anothen is used in the same chapter and is not translated as born again. It's translated as born from above. From above, which makes even more sense why Nicodemus had no idea what Jesus is talking about. That he's talking about a birth from above. Amen. And this story shows us one of the prerequisites for the Spirit of God to begin regeneration. To be born from above is to be born by God shocks Nicodemus so next slide I'll fix a little slow that's okay we won't be here too long all right all right so what do we know? <laughs> we know that God is holy. Amen. That a holy God created a law which his people are to live. That his people broke this law. That God is too holy to break his law even for his people, so he fulfills his law. That he redeems mankind back to himself. He pays the price with his blood. That redemption gives God ownership. Justification gives God relationship. And sanctification gives you oneness. I said a new word. Oneness. To be one with Christ. Jesus says that, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's oneness. Jesus prays this prayer for, 
for us to become one. Let me tell you, there is literally no point in living for Christ if you're not aiming for oneness with him. Why? Because you cannot do anything of yourself. You can't even understand his word. You need the spirit of God. We become one with Christ in sanctification. So what is sanctification? The definition is to be set apart for a sacred purpose. To be set apart for a sacred purpose purpose in genesis 2 3 it says then god blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done god sanctified the seventh day he separated the seventh day not for any reason Besides his holy purpose. That day was holy. Why? Because God separated it. To be separate. Not because your pastor told you to. To be separate. Not because your parents told you to. To be separate. Not because your organization. Your organization told you to. To be separate. Solely because God has told you to is holiness. Any other reason is not holiness. It's the purpose of the separation, not the separation itself. Being separate because God has called you apart for his holy purpose. Amen. We're finishing up in Acts 20 verse 32. It says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. See that word again, sanctified. Paul makes a clear distinction who receives the inheritance. Not for those who are redeemed only. Not for those who are justified only, not for those who goes to church every single service, not for those who know the word, all uh, who know all the word. He's saying that the inheritance goes to those who are sanctified. When he mentions sanctification, see, he, he, he doesn't have to mention redemption. He doesn't have to mention justification, because unlike those other terms, if you are sanctified, then you have those other things. Amen. You cannot have the one without the other. Next. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. Says, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved 
by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth. This verse tells us that the Holy Spirit is involved in the sanctifying process. Salvation is attached to the sanctification process. Sanctification is to the spirit what water is to the body. Amen. The work of the Holy Spirit and sanctification. This is where we get distinctive. This is where we become apostolic. Up until this point, Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist, we can all find some agreement. Up until this point where we have no agreement, this is the disagreement. Who is doing the sanctification? Who is sanctified? And we say the Holy Spirit. And we don't just stop there. Because some will say the Holy Spirit, but then you don't know. It's just, oh, it's the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? I don't know. It's just the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. We say, no, the Holy Spirit is doing the sanctification because he, he, he gives us another language. Amen. We, we, the, the, the Holy Spirit is doing the sanctification because he revealed Jesus' name and, and told us to go down into water baptism. The Holy Spirit is doing the sanctification because it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can practice the fruit of the Spirit. And lastly, but certainly not least, the Holy Spirit is doing the sanctification because it is only through the Holy Spirit where we can live an inward and outward holiness life. Everything that pastor talked about can only be done if the spirit is in you, sanctifying you. No. So, people like to say, well, that's just works. Works righteousness means that you work for your righteousness. And before I give you the answer to what I tell them, I'm going to read these two verses. First one, John 14, 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The word I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. First John 4, 4, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? This is actually not the verse. Yeah, somebody got that pulled out of it. 4, 4, yeah. Watch is getting that. What do you think about that? Works. Is it works? Brother Brad, is it works? It's 
motivation behind the works. The assignment. The assignment. Amen. Anybody else? Is it works? Someone say it again. Faith. Yes. Yes, yes. Amen. See, when when people say these are works, and they say, "Oh, the apostolic church is works based," that they have to work to get to heaven. I say, if you're doing all the work according to these scriptures, then the Father isn't in you. See, when you have the Spirit sanctifying you, then it's the Spirit that's doing all the work. Amen? All you need to do is to let Him. A few weeks ago, I got my, my wisdom teeth pulled, right? Two on this side. And um, so, <laughs> so I'm sitting down, at, at, at the, the doctor, he all in my mouth, right? And I got the laughing gas on. It's about 10 minutes in. I'm like, come on, doc, this ain't really working. I'm I'm up. I paid you for the good stuff. What's going on? The doc said, the gas is working. You're not working. <laughs> so you have to breathe it in like normal, sit back, and let it do its work. Amen? Sit back and let it do its work work if living holy isn't working it's not the spirit it's the body it's not the spirit that doesn't want to work it's not the spirit that doesn't want to cover up it's not the spirit that doesn't want to watch what he or she say it's not the spirit that doesn't want to read the word it's not the spirit that doesn't want to go to church it's the body so much like the doctor said Sit back and let the spirit work. Amen. So, in conclusion, we know that we are called to be holy. We know his redemptive process makes us holy. Questions, comments, concerns. Amen. Let us stand. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Amen, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for this word, Lord Jesus. Let us not just listen, oh, Father God. Let this word not just be an intellectual exercise, Lord God. 
But let us use this, O oh Father God. Use what you have provided to your church, Lord Father God, not just for us, O oh God, but to teach it to others, Lord Jesus. Let us understand, O oh Father God. Let us understand your holiness, O oh God, your redemptive process, O oh Father God. We thank you, Lord God, for justifying us on Calvary, Lord God. We thank you for sending your spirit, O oh Father God, to help us, Lord God, to sanctify us, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you, Lord God. We humble ourselves before you this evening, Lord Jesus. God, we can do nothing of our own, Lord Father God. It is only through you, Lord God. Oh, we thank you, Lord God. Your redemption, oh God, you've redeemed us, Lord God. Oh, we thank you, Lord Jesus. Touch our hearts, oh God. Touch our minds, Lord Jesus. God, let us not leave the same, Lord God. Let us be changed, Lord God. From the inside out, Lord Jesus, touch us in such a mighty way, Lord God. Bless those, O oh God, as they leave this sanctuary tonight, Lord Jesus. Send your angels to go before them, Lord God. We come against any attack of the enemy, O oh God, tonight, Lord Jesus. Bless the family, O oh God. Bless the church of God, Lord Jesus. We call for unity among the church, O oh God. We thank you for what you're doing in Christ in the church, Lord God. We thank you for where you're taking us, Lord Jesus. Oh, we say yes to you this evening, Lord. We say yes, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, amen.